Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Geico of Mobile, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report of Alabama lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Some days it'd be ugly. Man, hey, what's going on, guys? This is uh, Brian Sin and your co-host, Stephen Wisdom. I, I didn't man. know. I thought I was getting the uh, the red carpet intro, but apparently uh, it's M&Ms and Skittles around here today. I got to in- introduce myself. Hey. hey, guys, this is Steve Wisdom and glad to be back with you. We've got a great show lined up for you guys today. I'm a little biased because our, our special guest uh, that we have, I know well, and, and I love this guy and love when I get to spend time with him, and uh, you guys will enjoy it as well. But before we jump in, how's your week been? I'm going to tell you what, I'm writing a letter to principal or calling him or something for the school system. I, I got to get these kids back to school. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> I can't do this, yeah. man. I got a whole new appreciation for teachers. Yeah, absolutely. My, my wife is the same way. Don't tell her, but I secretly told her that we, we're still working. And so, but it was funny the first week uh, she was loving it. It's great. I love homeschool. Let's do it forever. And every day this week, she's quickly, that is wearing off quickly with her. <laughs> so I get it, man. It's a, man, a new appreciation for teachers, man. No doubt. And it's not just having to organize, which look, guys, I, I've got a lot of a lot of kids. We got five and a niece and nephew. So we've got a lot going on to get everything coordinated. And I'll try to keep them on task, which I'm, uh, I'm not very good at. So it's, it's definitely a challenge for us. I tell you, a big challenge too, man, is... The younger kids are easier. Mm. It's the teenagers because they don't get this. Yeah. They want to go and play and do and hang out with friends. And when we say no, Mm -hmm. it's like we're punishing them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree. Just yesterday we were talking about how the greatest challenge right now is to get a, you know, their teenager or high school kid. Uh, to buy into finishing strong the the virtual school year. And and, uh, I I agree. It's crazy times, man. But I just want to encourage you guys before we dive in, though, even in the craziest times, don't lose sight that uh, it's a blessing for some and it's a curse for others. And so look for the blessing in this. I mean, there's some businesses out there who are doing wonderful. There's some businesses that are folding. There's families that are thriving. There's families that are crashing down and don't be ashamed that if you're one of the ones that are that are being blessed in this for whatever reason but also don't overlook that maybe your neighbor is is crashing down so uh, open your eyes and look for the blessing and help others and i think we'll we'll get through this this crisis as they call it absolutely and 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 look one thing we're not going to do on this show is is back back away from our faith Stephen. i know me and you both believers this country people in the country business owners employees they need prayer now as much as ever, and uh, not to mention the people who, who are fighting. Absolutely, COVID, absolutely. So. And man, if you look in the Bible, if we want to go there, we will. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, it talks about in the time where the the lands were being covered with plagues. God said, "If you'll if you'll pray to me, I'll forgive your sins and heal your land." And so one of the things that me and my wife do every day at seven fourteen in the morning, at seven fourteen at night. Uh, we set alarms on our phones just to stop and think about Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and we say, and we just Beautiful. pray out loud, God forgive our sins and heal our land. Beautiful, and and He'll do it. That's he, great. He, he absolutely, He's done it many times before, and He'll do it again if we'll just humble ourselves and pray to Him. No and, question, and He about will do that. it. So, thank you uh, for sharing that. Man. Absolutely, man. Stuff. Glad we jumped into that today. Look, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's get started on the uh, on the on the fishing report and, and bringing on our special guest. And we're brought to you today by Geico of Mobile. Did y'all know Geico offered water service? That's right. It'll cover breakdowns, gas problems, all kind of stuff like that that we may run into on the water. Hey, and you can even bundle it with your existing boat insurance to save more. Call Ron Davis of Geico of Mobile and get you a quote two five one. Four four five zero zero five three. That's Ron Davis at two five one four four five zero zero five three, or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile dash al. All right, guys, we have a very very special guest on today for our first segment, and uh, man, we are really excited about him. I think all you're going to know who he is, native to Alabama, two time 
Bassmaster Angle of the Year, Gerald Swindle. What's up, buddy? Boys, what y'all doing today? Y'all, y'all just chilling, hiding out in the quarantine? Hey, we're quarantining, man. We're doing what we're, we're following the rules. You know, we never break rules. We're now, rule I, followers. I'm pretty sure we're six foot apart. Yeah, we're six. We're six foot apart. So, you know, we're doing what we we're doing what we got to do. Well, we have to, man. That's what, I, we we kind of joke about that. We've been talking about yeah, I'm actually currently working on a video just about as outdoorsmen because it's tempting, man. Like I come up to my farm in Jasper, I still want to fish. I still want to go to Smith and catch them. You know, they're biting, mm-hmm. but. You don't want to put everybody at risk, so I told her, I said, we're going to build a video series about how hard is it to really try to do this where you don't influence a lot of people, you know, about buying all your gas at one time, don't make multiple trips, packing your own food, freezing your own ice, choosing a ramp that you don't have to come in contact with people, because I still want to fish, but I take this quarantine thing pretty serious. I, my wife said it's not, because she said, you made your own word up, it's not quarantine. I said, oh yeah, we're quarantined. We're quarantined. <laughs> Up here on the farm. Yeah. We're yeah. quarantined, but I think as outdoorsmen, you know, you would tempt you know how it is, Steve, well, you want to go fishing? You're like, oh, we got yeah. well, mama. But you look back at it, you think, man, it's kind of serious, you know, I don't, want to promote fishing tournaments so i'm trying not to do any of that i just want to fish and film some videos i'm thinking you're buying food going to the lake coming back to the lake you're doing all that you really ain't helping so i was like i'm gonna to try to do some above and beyond steps to try to do my part but man it's different it's a lot to think about it to try to not make a lot of contact with people going to the lake well and you just brought up a, something i've never even thought about you know because i've been telling my my teenage kids of course you know they they ripping and roaring and, and, and think I'm punishing them, making them stay at the house. And me and Steven were talking about that earlier. And they want to go. So I'm like, hey, man, go fishing if y'all want to go. But the part that you just brought up that I hadn't thought about is you got to stop at the gas station and get some gas or go in and get a drink to take with you. And you may have to go get a few more baits from Walmart. You still come in contact with people and possible contamination. The key is, so, can we reduce, the key is as outdoorsmen, can we be responsible enough to reduce that and still keep our lakes and our ramps open and that's the part that i'm hoping this video series i'm just, i'm gonna try to have done that next couple of days is just showing sit down and think out what you're going to do this is not like we have all the freedom so don't just steve-o can't come and say hey man they're biting down here late run there and get in the boat with me you have to plan that out so we're trying to cook a couple of days in advance so you don't have to stop and buy your snack so like talking to my nephew which is 20 he don't think two or three days out in front so I said, dude, if you're going to fish on Wednesday, start planning it on Monday. So you have all your stuff together. You know, and I told him, I said, don't be pulling up the gas station and putting 20 hours of gas in your boat. Fill it all the way up. It's too cheap right now. And I said, then you can go four or five times and you don't have to buy gas. So you've reduced your, so I'm saying, so you're just trying to yeah. cut each step down a little bit, which yeah. is kind of funny because when I met Steve, he, he was like, yeah, the boat ramp's leaving in his truck. So I know he come hard times and that's the way I grew up. Like my dad would like. We would pack our own lunch and do our own things. So I feel like I'm going back in time to teach my nephew what my daddy taught me to just be self-contained, yeah. you know. And I just went as far as to even plot out ramps, you know, that are not super crowded, that doesn't have, you can have a pay at the box, you know, and then from the gas station to wearing gloves. But it's a lot to think about now because the last thing I want to do is be part of the reason that people can go fishing, you know, and I'm afraid That's that the right. guys don't take it serious. And they, they abuse that right. The governor can very easily say, you know what, we're going to reduce these rights. There's just going to be no more fishing. I don't want that. I think you guys are seeing it this day where we're at. We need people buying some baits, ordering online and stuff. But we got to have the industry to keep some blood to kind of keep flowing because it's, it's going to be a tough couple of months till we get out of this. Absolutely. So I'm like, well, and you know, I don't even want to take people. You know, like, that's what's weird. Like, when you go, you go by yourself because you don't know who you're going to fish with because they've been quarantined correctly. I'm like, well, sucks, but this is what we're going to do. Well, and there are some states that have already taken those measures. I know uh, I saw several posts on You Do Outdoors the other day where there were people on there that, that were talking about how their state has already closed the boat ramps. And a lot of their places, and they weren't even allowed to go fishing. And we don't want to get to that point. So if we're proactive. Well, and I think that's right. We'd be proactive. And that's something like you guys. And that's if you want to just think about it. Be respectful. Hey, we talk about trying to either go way early in the morning when the ramps are low key. You know, if you're trying to do everything you can because you wouldn't be but one or two steps away from the governor if things don't start to improve to be able to say, you know what, we're going to have to shut down some of our ramps to slow it down. And that was going to be tricky because when all you ever done is stay outdoors and all of a sudden they take it away from you, it's going to, it's going to hit people right in the face. So we're going to try to do our part up here. We, we're at the farm right now. We just stay low-key at the farm to, 
but the turkeys is working on me. So I don't know what's worse <laughs> now, the quarantine or the turkeys, because I'm I'm a average below average turkey hunter, and they winning, so I'm starting to lose sleep. That's awesome. Well, great perspective, Gerald. But I, I do want to circle back to something you said because uh, I want to hit on it because it's it's really why you know I agreed to co-host this show. And you, you vaguely mentioned when we met, and and it's right when we met. I was young and aspirations to be a fisherman, and I was traveling around as a co-angler on the Elite Series back when they allowed the Elite Series to have co-anglers. I was sleeping in my car, and every day I would get up to go to the boat ramp and just ask if I could go fishing with that person for the day, and 95% of people said no, no after no after no, and for whatever reason, the day I met Gerald, after about five no's from the people in front of Gerald at the boat ramp, he said yes that day. And it was awesome for me because we've, we've since become friends, but it was just, I wanted to learn fishing, right? I, lo- I wanted to learn and be absorbed and get everything I could. I was going to the extreme to learn every little technique, every little bit I could because I wanted to fish and I wanted to fish well. And Gerald let me get in the boat that day and, and I'll never forget. He's like, man, you got three questions. If you ask me more than three questions, <laughs> I'm throwing you on the bank. And so about four hours later, I hadn't said a word. I was just fishing, probably because I was scared, scared to death, but I was just fishing. And at some point, we began to discuss that. And, and, I, and I remember I, I made the comments like, Gerald, I didn't want your autograph. I had gotten it several years before at some event. I didn't want your autographs. I wanted time on the water. Knowledge. I, wanted, I wanted knowledge. And so that's why I love what we're doing, Brian. And, I, and that's why I agreed to do this show is because I just want to help people give them as much knowledge in every angle as possible. For me, it was extreme, sleeping in my car, walking from boat to boat at a, at a ramp just to try to get in a guy's boat who I knew had a lot of knowledge to give and ultimately was able to, to gain a new friend that day. And me and, and Gerald and even his wife, Lulu, have spent quite a bit of time together tinkering with different stuff. But there's always something to learn. But it was, uh, it was, a, it was an intimidating time. Uh, with Gerald that time, but we, we eventually hit it off. I was not in my best behavior. My wife still scolds me for that. She says, you better not have been rude. And I said, honey, I I promise I I wasn't trying to be rude. You know, I said, you got to understand. I said, people are there. They want to go and you don't know who to trust and you get the wrong guy in the boat. I said, but I did. When I told him he could go, I said, I know I probably wasn't the nicest guy. I said, I knew he really wanted to go. And I said, I didn't know how to handle it. I just didn't. So I said, I just gave him three questions. And I said, it didn't take me long to realize he wasn't there for that. He, he didn't want to know how I got sponsors. He won't know how I catch fish. Mm. And I said, so that's why we laugh about that. Now I still tell that story to seminar sometimes. I said, you never know who's going to be in the back of your boat to start out that way. Who's going to be end up being one of your top friends, a guy that you can lean on. And I said, so that's kind of where fishing can bring you. But the position you were in is what I respect a lot about young people who want to try it because you were in a very intimidating position. You was walking up to some of the top names in the business. You were sleeping in your truck. You didn't have a lot of finances to chase it around. So I looked at that. And I'm thinking anybody who's willing to try this, you got to give them the respect factor to try to say, learn it. That's one of them deals where both sides are learning something. And I think after years, if you've been around it, you probably see why some of the guys say, no, I don't want nobody in the boat with me because they get distracted easy or they get, they just meet the wrong person or something. But for you and I, kind of funny. We've hunted together and run out, hung out together and fished together. And I'm 100% confident that Steve-O's passion for fishing would have took him where he needed to. But I admired a lot more of the decision you made because it's like, I got kids, I got a wife. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to do this. You made a decision that most most men struggle with more than they probably should. <laughs> well, because you kind of, I watched you put that forward and say, I love fishing and I still want to fish, but I got to take care of the kids first. That's right. That's you right. Know, that's and a big, that's a big step, man. I mean, you don't, I see guys that turn their back on that and I'm thinking, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I don't know. I, I know in my career, had I been in Steve's situation, I wouldn't be where I am today fishing-wise because I would—I didn't have children early on. I was totally committed to what I wanted to do. Once you have children and a wife, I tell people when they want to come in and they say, what I got to do to be a pro? I said, you got to figure out how you take care of your family first because when you jeopardize them and you leave and you chase this dream and you put your family on the back burner, it's going to burn you because there's going to be days and that's all you got left. So yeah. I said, you got to figure out how to balance that, whether you financially can do it. That's a tough run. I mean, it's just like any other sport, football, baseball, basketball. You got to make that sacrifice. 
but you got to make sure you're in a position that that sacrifice doesn't come at the expense of 10 or 15 other people. And that's, that's beautiful advice. And you know, it's like that just when you go in, when you decide to go into business for yourself, you're on it, You're it's tough. It's hard. And you do have to, whether it's a, a fishing career or whether it's another career that you start when you're starting your own business, you got to take all those things into consideration. And, and I've been on, on, on both ends of that, uh, where I've been in the corporate world working for companies and then I've started my own business. And I, and I'm going to tell you, I got, you've met my wife. I got a great wife. You both y'all know my wife. There's a lot of things that these women will overlook. But not bringing home a paycheck ain't one of them, brother. You no, not family. not long. Not long. You know, not long. And that's the struggle. That's the struggle Steve and I had talked about, had many conversations about is the younger guys getting into the sport. It's a tough battle, man. This is as tough as any other thing because financially you have to have it all together. You have to have a lot of things fall into place. And then you have to be married to the most amazing woman in the world who's willing to risk some of that with you. In other words, she's holding your hand going, if you're willing to take the chance, I'll do it with you. And that's one of the keys. I tell the young guys, when you come out here, I said, you have to wear this, your fiance or your wife, you got to make sure she's ready to get in the trenches with you. And you got to make sure you told her and made her understand what we're going through. This could be some tough times. And I'm not being judgment. I see guys that don't even include their wife and then they get out here and things go bad. And I'm like, well, you didn't tell the linebacker what they were supposed to be doing. You just wanted them to stand over there. You know, you're not a team. But when your wife can experience it, she shares the vision with you. That's part of what it is to make any business. Like you said, it doesn't matter what you do. If you can be building houses, but if, if you're not on the same page, most of the time you're not going to be successful. Well, and I've watched you and Lulu together a lot and uh, over the last couple of years. And there's one thing that's very obvious to me when I see you guys is y'all are partners in this. It's not you and then her. It seems to me that way anyway, just outside looking in, she's your partner in this business. She's my ride or die. When I, I tell people sometimes my hashtag, this is my ride or die girl, like you have some rap video and they laugh. I'm like, you don't understand. If I told her we had to go do something really bad and we might go to jail, she'd be like, well, whose car we going to take? Because she's ride or die. She's there. I tell my buddies, I said, now my wife, I said, y'all got to understand. I get, I get my devotional read to me every morning. With me and my Jack Russell, whether I need it or not that morning, my wife, she's going to get up, sit there with her devotional. She's going to read to me and the Jack Russell. She's, she's very driven, very determined, but she also kind of keeps me checked to where I need to be. She's the absolute partner I needed for this business. And she can, she helps run it. Cause Steve, he's been around me fishing. He knows I'm not the brightest star in the sky because I can forget stuff. I'll lose stuff, but she's very organized. You know, I'll get so focused on fishing and tournaments and what we got to do that she's so good with sponsors. She keeps up with things. She keeps me in checking. You know, and nothing else, she keeps me grounded, you know, because I've seen her at the gas station. Like, we pull in somewhere, and I'm not in a good, you know, I might have just got my butt just drilled, teeth kicked in, and I'll pull up, and she'll see some kids coming over to get an autograph, and she'll just look at me and grab me by the hand, and she said, I need to see some big smiles because they don't know oh, how bad your day was. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You know? And so that kind of keeps you checked where you know that that first impression, which if I'm sitting there by myself as a competitor, it would be real easy to get out negative. So I think the part that she plays in the company is much more important than what a lot of people see. That's great, man. Thank God for these good women we got. Hey, I got to tell Brenda all the time, baby, you can leave me if you want to, but I'm going with you. (laughs) Yeah. I've had a lot of people. A lot of people ask this. I know this probably ain't right on our topic, but I, I had a lot of people ask Leanne and I as we go around, they'll talk to us about marriage and all. And I was like, hey, I said, I know some great women, you know, and, I, and I'm going to go out there on a limb and say, Steve O's wife is one of the greatest women. I admire what she's done, what she's like with the children and all. I look at that and I say, like, that's incredible. But I said, they say, well, how do you know? How do you get your wife involved in this? I think most of the time it falls on the men because we haven't done a great job of carrying them in a positive experience. Men want to take their wife on one tournament situation, get aggravated because she didn't know to get the net, or take them hunting one time and freeze them to death. Mm-hmm. I said, so I think men, we've got to do a little better of bringing our wives into it because that's where our children are going to follow. Man, and it, I've, I've said this before, like going to a weigh-in, Someone asked, what's so special about a BASS weigh-in? 
And why there's so many people? I said, because there's a 40-year-old male there that come to watch his favorite angler, a guy that he watches techniques and styles. He kind of watch him fish get weighed in. So he's standing there watching him fish. Well, he, he asked his wife, he said, you want to care to kiss? She said, absolutely. If we're going to do something together, let's go. Well, she stands there at her first tournament. Well, she just happens to find something amusing about one of the anglers or something she liked, the color of his jersey or something. And all of a sudden, she's, she's kind of caught up in it. And then when the tournament's over, the weigh-in, Dad say, you want to get the kids autograph? Let's go over and meet Mike Iconelli and get in line and meet. So it's like a family thing. And once you start that and the, and the husband and wife are on the same page, the wife knows what they're going into, you educate them, you bring them in, and it becomes a lifestyle. Then it ain't just something they go, oh, we're just going to tournament. No, tournament fishing and bass fishing becomes a lifestyle. Hunting becomes a lifestyle. So I tell everybody, I said, it ain't just that way it's magical in a sense. That there's a lot of guys there our age that are trying to teach our children and our grandchildren what we've learned, how to fish, how to hunt. And I said, without that, we're going to back up in this industry. we got to have more people buying license, hunting and fishing. We all can look at the hunting industry. Would you? I mean, it's not doing great. No. Yeah, absolutely. So we got to do better at that. We got to do better at that. And and these kind of th- things like you do on your social media and, and the voice that you are and things that we're trying to do here. I mean, hopefully that's what we're trying to do is grow the sport, and educate people. And, you know, and, and I know we are going and, you know, that's one thing I love about getting people like you on here is, is it doesn't always go the direction that you thought it was going to go when you when you got on the podcast. But, you know, one thing that I wanted to get you to talk about just a little and then we're going to talk about fishing. But is young guys that are trying to get on it's a lot different than it was when when you came onto the scene as far as you didn't have high school fishing teams and college fishing teams do you see that as something that obviously we wish we'd have had that in high school right i'd have probably never played baseball i'd have been on a fishing team but is that making that journey easier or is it actually making it maybe hard more more people out there trying you know going to college and then going okay i want to go that next level i want to be a pro angler how has it affected the industry you think in 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 the positive ways and 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 uh and guys trying to make it on the street this this is going to be uh this may not be a popular opinion answer it's just what i see i think in a lot of ways it's helped us but i think in a lot of ways it has hurt us the reason why is I see this happening over and over again. And I just had a, an hour Scott call this morning with two big sponsors. And it's one of their main complaints. It's high school kids fishing in their organization. And all of a sudden they think they need to be sponsored or they deserve to get free stuff. So by the time they're in college, they feel entitled to why can't I get a free boat? I don't understand why Gary Klaus at Phoenix can't give me a boat. And you want to say, son, because you haven't done nothing. And that's going to come hard at some parents. But like Steve would tell you, to be an outside linebacker, you got to be, you're, you're a three or four or five star recruit. And that's what I talked to a young man about at ICAST last year. He said, How do I get sponsors? I said, Do you know what a five star athlete is? He said, Yes, sir. Could you be my five star athlete in fishing? Quit going out there for likes on Instagram. Don't try to be a YouTube sensation. Take your rod and reel, catch a bass, learn from it, move to the next one, catch a bass. I said, Because if you're a five star, these sponsors know who you are before you are. I said, but I always worried about the kid. You guys both playing sports. I played, didn't play the college level, but I always worried about the kids. You know, I, I had one kid that showed up with me and would break in the gym with me to shoot basketball. Always was able to say, hey, I'll crawl through the window today. That's the guy I always kept my eye on. He was on my team because he was willing to do exactly what I was, if not more. So I try to tell kids, focus more on your fishing, less on how many – things you got on your jersey. I said at a high school killer kid's age, I don't think it's important for you to have sponsors. I'd like to see you be dressed in unity with your team, but I don't think you need 25 logos because there is a, this thing we're seeing kind of come along where it's almost entitlement. You don't just get a scholarship to play linebacker at Sanford just because you played high school football. You got that because you was excellent at playing high school football. So I think we've took the focus off fishing and more on promotions. I think at that age, I'd rather see a kid fishing. I tell my nephew one day, he, he posted on Instagram, and he was holding four fish up at one time. And I couldn't mash that phone hard enough to call him. And I way overreacted, and I chewed him out. And I said, don't you ever do that again. I said, because it makes people look like you've never caught them. 
And I said, it makes you look irresponsible because you hauled them around for a sunset picture where there's no money on the line. I said, when there's money on the line, you're vested. So you check your live wells. You down there looking at that phoenix switch. You know exactly when that when it's running because it's going to cost you money if he dies. I said, when you're just putting them in the live well to take pictures for, you're not doing it for the true love of the game. I said, the love of the game is you catch one, take a picture of it, put it back. I, see it. I told Trey, I said, work at this, son. Work at it. I said, they don't give out gold medals on Instagram. I said, I'd rather see you in a white T-shirt and flip-flops out there catching biggins as I would see you have 200,000 followers on Instagram. I said, because when you get put in your game day situation, guess what? You're going to get your 200,000 followers because you're supposed to smoke them. Mm -hmm. So I, th I do think that's a trick question. I think it's opened up doors, and I think it's got a lot more people involved in fishing. I just think it needs to be regulated a little bit through high school of what those kids are allowed to receive. I'm also seeing a lot of this. Well, my dad's going to call his buddy at Chickamauga and get some waypoints for us to go fish this high school tournament. Well, my nephew fished high school, y'all. I never give that kid a waypoint. Wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And he got plum hurt at it. I said, son, because I'm not helping you. It may help you win that tournament, but in the long run, it's going to make you a worse fisherman. Yeah. Because you're alive. I said, so I do think. To yourself. Right. We, so I think there's some shortcuts being taken. The thing I liked about, you know, like to be a linebacker, be a baseball player at Auburn, there ain't really no shortcut. You were the five star. You proved your game. So I wish in high school we taught more of that. We taught more of a little bit more controlled atmosphere and saying, hey, guys, I want you guys to learn to fish, work through this. I think by by kind of coping that in and saying, hey, it's not such about we need to get 20 free rods. When I picked Steve up at the ramp, he didn't have 20 rods, and he was trying to make money at it. He had a handful of rods, and if I'm not mistaken, not many of them matched. <laughs> See, that's the difference. He went he went in it with, I don't need 20 free rods to go fish. I'll take what I got, and I'll make the best of it, and it'll make me better. So I think that's a little old school round of mine that I wish more high school kids did work through that tough times, you know, and then developed into that player the, the gamers you want to see them in. I think mm. college helps us. I think the exposure-wise helps us. But I think to dilute it down to who's going to be the next great one, it's tough. So I tell my nephew, just as I would tell any other kid, you fish in high school when nobody's looking. You run in wind sprints when nobody's counting. You go in there and you deadlift in the gym when nobody's counting. You do the things in fishing. You go fishing when it sucks. I need to see you fishing when they ain't fighting. I need you to call me, Trey, and say, gee, I went down and only caught two, but I learned a lot. I said, you do all the stuff that's not any fun, then you're ready for the next step. I said, you got to be in love with the elements of the game. you got to be willing to do this, or we're not going to advance. Because what's going to happen is when we put those guys in a breaking position, they're going to break. Because they haven't been backed against the wall enough to start that. When Steve's sleeping in his truck, he's backed against the wall. There is no backup plan. You fish with everything you got. There's something to that that brings out the best competitor in every human. I've argued that that the same mentality with MLF the year I fished there. They said, this, no entry fee is great. I said, is it or is it not? I think when you have no skin in the game, you quit fighting. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. You, you, you quit fighting. If, if, if they told you, Steve, when you played linebacker, or they, they told you, hey, no matter how many errors you make in the infield, guys, you're not coming out. You think you would have played the same? Yeah. No. So I no. said, I don't know that just giving somebody a free ride is the way to do it. I think by entry phase, you keep skin in the game. It brings the best out in you. It makes you react in those breakdown situations, which I, that's a little deep for fishing, you know, <laughs> but Steve would tell you my mind's kind yeah. of crazy sometimes, but it's that learning how to deal with not catching them, struggling, making do with what you got. Yeah. I think that's what sets us. But I do think uh, high school fishing has a great part for this industry. I think I just wish we could wind it back up a little bit, just kind of yeah. clean it up. Well, it may be deep, but it's definitely a fit because if you think about it, you know, and I hope that there's high school kids and college kids everywhere Googling to, to, to get a fishing report and they listen to our show and they hear that um, because anybody pursuing tournament fishing it needs to hear that, but I, and I think uh, that element of purity of the pursuit is a great lead in to our listener question for the week, which guys, if you have any questions, just please reach out and email us at Alabama freshwater at bestfishingreport.com. That's Alabama freshwater at bestfishingreport.com. 
And Gerald, this week's question is talking about how you approach a new lake. And I think that's a, a great transitional question from what you just talked about. And so this idea that I want to be a great tournament fisherman or I love fishing and I want to go fish some new bodies of water. And man, that body of water is so big. And, and so I thought knowing that you live on Garnersville, you're, 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 and you have a, a cabin there close to Smith Lake that you spend some time at, and you're originally from North Alabama. And so let's take you Fala, for example, a lake that you've probably missed, you fish many a times, but maybe you don't fish all the time because it's quite a bit of a travel for you from your home on top of your other travel schedule. Let's use you Fala. It's big. It can be great. You hear a lot about it, kind of like Gunnersville. A lot of different ways to fish it. Give a guy some pointers this week on how would you, how do you approach and how do you tackle a new lake? If you're pulling up to a lake you've never been to and kind of like me, you know, kind of like when I was, the reason I was fishing as a going on the elite series was I was trying to see and understand how to approach bodies of water that I've never been to all over the country. Cause I knew if I was ever going to fish, truly fish competitively, I had to know how to go to a new lake in a new state and be able to find fish. And so how, how would you help the listeners today on approaching a new body of water? Man, it's a, it's a great, a really great question. And I think you've probably seen after being around some of the guys, they have their own mixed formula in their mind on how they approach it. Something that's one of your number one things always be considered will be the time of year right now. Mm-hmm. So we know we're coming no matter where I'm going. Like if you say we're going to you following you right, it's five hours from Gunnersville. I ain't been on in quite a minute, probably been 10 or 12 years. One of the first things I do, I say, okay, we're, we're early April, so I probably still got some spawners. It's a little further south. They spawn early, so I'll say, okay, I could possibly a little sight fishing. I, I'd want to know what the water temperature is. That would tell me how, how far along the spawn may be. You know, is it far enough south that I could be having a shad spawn? Then water temperature controls that. Once that water temperature gets up in the low 70s, maintains that way for several weeks, hit a move, we got a shad spawn. So you look at time of year, you look at water temperature, you look at water clarity. And then here's a cool thing now that we didn't have back then is you got so much great stuff like on your iPad as far as Google Earth, uh, Google Maps. You can actually go on there, even if you don't have a boat and a depth finder, you can go on my iPad and download a Lake Master, which is the app that Hummingbird has, and you can download the, the lake, the entire, just like a guy would have it in his boat. And you can look at contour lines, and so you can study that. So from there, once I realize what time of year it is, I want to know what, what color water is. So. I know typically you fall, I can get blowed out and muddy. So one of the things if you're trying to stay out of that fresh mud, because that fresh mud is usually harder to catch a man than anything else. So I'm going to, first thing I'd look at at you fall, if I went there would be all the pockets or creek, or like a long pocket that didn't have a creek coming into it. It wasn't really creek fed that ran back against the current. In other words, it was more protected and had less flow coming in the mouth of it. It wasn't pushing water in there. You could probably look on your iPad and just scroll through there and then go in and backdate that. You can date that Google Earth and look at the water clarity, and you'll kind of know, okay, so if I if the water temperature is low enough, I think I'm going to catch a sight fish, I'm going to need to get in some pretty clean water, get any of them long pockets, try to stay out of the ones with the big ditches or the creeks feeding them, because we're having so much rain, it's going to stay muddier in there long. You know, that's kind of like that real simple, fast formula how to get started. If it's a shad spawn, then you're going to automatically say, okay, I'm sitting in the 70s, 73-degree water, I'm probably going to need to check the shad spawn. There's not a lot of grass in Eufaula. So and if you're going there and you don't know right where it is, shad always spawn on the rocks. It's a very visible target. Rip wrap, natural rock, they'll be there. They'll be on docks where they got foam on them or plastic. They spawn around them. So those are two things you can just quick eyeball look over and say, okay, water temperature says shad should be spawning. Well, how do I know that? Take a double wheel spinner spinnerbait, go fish down the rocks for two or 300 yards. If you don't have the bait following your spinnerbait in, they're not spawning there. You do that on the docks, they're not spawning there. Two or three stops, I can turn around and say, hey, Steve, shad ain't spawning. Let's move back in the pockets and look see how many still garden fry. They're not out here yet. That kind of right quick there. formula. I'd love for you to touch on, you said something that I'm not familiar with. When you said you throw that spinnerbait and watch for shad, you're watching for shad following that bait back to the boat? Mm-hmm. You'll actually feel them hitting the blades and stopping the blades from turning because when shad spawn, they run in these big groups. And they think those blades are, are the shad, like, are one of them. So they're just all over, just swarming all over, around and around. That's part of their spawning. That's what their whole mating deal is. So 
you can actually feel them hitting the bait. And when you reel it in, there'll be seven or eight big shad or 10 shad behind it. All right. Well, you know, if there's that many shad on a stretch of riprap, they some fish there somewhere. You know, so that's just kind of one of them deals. You know, a white swim jig would do good. A spinnerbait's the fastest way to see, you know, because you can see them so good. And when you reel it in, don't just burn it in right there at the boat. You just kind of ease it down the side of the boat. And I'm always looking for them, looking for them until I find a shad. And it's just, that's just controlled by water temperature. And if you hit it on the right moon, then the shad will start spawning. That's good. That, that whole formula is kind of, it sounds very complicated, but Steve and I've had a lot of conversations about sometimes just keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. If you go to Eufaula, it, it's a giant lake. It can be extremely intimidating. And somebody says, man, how do I break down this whole lake? I said, don't, because you yeah. probably don't have enough time. I would say put in an area, look at your map, put in an area close to where you think you need to be, whether it's out of the dirty water, whatever, and start fishing. I said, if you fish and get a bite or two, then you might want to go move around. But I said, sometimes I think when you only have a day to practice, you can't break down your fault. And God knows, Steve saying how much money we're willing to spend all the gas money in the world trying to break down a lake. And in three days, I can cover a lot of water, but you can't cover your fault. Yeah. So sometimes I tell them just kind of keep it simple. Go in an area and fish and do, you know, kind of stick with your strengths just because you – just say you follow was a great big fish lake and everybody was throwing glide baits. If that's not your deal, don't go down there and waste your day of practice. Go down there and fish what somehow how you're comfortable matching the environment, whether it's water temperature, whatever it is. And you're going to probably see you're going to catch more. But running around sometimes is not as important as fishing. Now, if we were doing this in June, you know, and we we're talking about finding them on a graft then I might not even get a rod out for the first day of practice. I'll idle and look and idle and look. But this is the spring, so you're going to find more fish by casting. The electronics are great, but they're not the main key ingredient right now to catching bass. That's going to be casting, casting, and fishing. That's so awesome. Gerald, I, I love it. I love your wealth of knowledge and how you communicate it. And, and guys, what he's saying may sound simple, but I still use what he's saying to this day because – I have fished three tournaments on Eufaula and I've never fished the South end. And that's because I approached it with the same mentality that basically what he taught me was I knew I could not tackle Eufaula, not being from there, only going there every, every other year or so. I just, I had to simplify it, put in where I thought would be the best place to fish based off the conditions in the year and just start fishing. And I didn't run around it until to, to this day. I've never fished the lower end of Eufaula because of following exactly what Gerald just explained. You want to fish something right. You know, yeah. you want to know that when Steve left there, you can say, hey, they wasn't biting a jerk bait because I fished everything in here. You, there's no doubt in your mind that you covered that water thoroughly. And I think that's that's the premise of that, you know, and I. We we were laughing before at the house, and I went to Toledo Bend to fish in the lead series, and it's a monster lake. The wind was blowing. I didn't know nothing about it. Couldn't get help. And I knew that Housing Creek was the most community creek in the lake. I told Lynn, I said, driving to Housing Creek, put me in. She said, why? I said, well, they said that's community host. That means there's some bass there. I'm spending all three days in Housing Creek. Well, I ended up finishing the second, you know, because I yeah. knew everything in that creek by the time tournament started. I had every kind of pattern, I think, or something to that. We, we, we were laughing that day. She says, so is this your old strategy? I said, when you're in it, when you're in a crunch time situation, you need to know what you're going to do and you need to do what you're going to know. You got to go back and forth. Don't go running everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just do what you know and know what you do. Don't go try to do everything. So, you know what? I can get me four or five bites on a spinnerbait. I'm going to fish every square inch in this creek. And you'll be surprised the more you fish, the more how in tune with that place you become. Then it's a lot easier when you get your confidence up when you've come by seven pieces of natural rock and you caught a bass on every one and you run out of places to fish i could look over and go hey man run right over there something rock because your confidence level is different because you know they're on there i just think there's something to just sometimes the springtime of the year there's no shortcuts there's no idling through them you need to fish just pick the rod up and go to fishing great yeah, stuff man. absolutely man Beautiful. that's good well and one thing we do uh with everybody we have on here is we have a tip uh, basically a tip of the day, Gerald. And uh, today, the tip of the day is brought to you by You Do Outdoors social media app. So guys, go on there, download the You Do Outdoors app and share your pictures and your and your posts and what you're doing outdoors with your friends on there. And uh, we'll appreciate it. So download the free You Do Outdoors app. With that being said, Gerald, 
if somebody's going to come to Gunnerful right now, that's your home late, give us a tip, man. What do they need to do? Just uh, a quick little tip for them. One of the fastest ways that I can say to catch fish up there right now, and Gunnersville is not as easy as what people read about because we've had so much up and down water and it's been so unstable, but they can rig them up, take them a spinning rod, rig them up a Nico rig. So you want to rig it up like I got 12-pound braid on the back, I got a 10-pound leader, I fish about an eight-foot fluorocarbon leader, and I do the VMC Nico rig hook. I put the little butt rubber band on there and then hook my bait, you know, hook the hook to the rubber band put a little nail weight in it and like i throw the zoom slinky which is what everybody else would call a, a stick bait or a cinco and you're going to cast that bait around you're going to put your boat three to four foot of water and every time you see a dark place or a white place and leanne was asking me the other sunday i took her she was catching them on a nico rig and i say throw right there throw right there she said how do you know that there's a fish there i said i don't but i can tell you that that's different so i said if you see a white place and the whole bottom's black there's probably a fish around it because it's a bed. If you see a black face and everything's sand, there's probably a reason he's bedding right there because you can't see him. So all you do then is pick off targets, whether they're stumps, uh, a white place in the grass, a, a cleared out place, or a big dark place in a pocket. Throw that thing up there. You ain't fishing it one to three foot. You let it sit. You shake it a few times, reel it in, throw it again. It's just, a, it's almost like a small weightless deal. Just to, I put just a, like a, a 64 for a little bullet, what like a little, I guess it'd be like a little nail weight. Just push it right in the tail of it. Basically, just to help throw it better. But for catching numbers, that's what I do at Gunnersville right now. I Nico rig from, from in the morning to dark, and you catch plenty. Awesome. Well, Gerald, man, thank you for your time. Thanks for hanging out with us today and just sharing your, your wealth of knowledge. And, man, I know you stay busy and on the run and, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of different things you do for a lot of people. So we're grateful for your time today. And if possible, we'd love to maybe have you on again, especially as the seasons change. I'd love for you to share your knowledge just like you just did and approach new bodies of water in the spring. But as there's so much to learn in seasonality of fishing, and that's what makes it so difficult sometimes is because it it's a, uh, it's a lot to learn. So, uh, hopefully we can have you on again, man, but thanks again. Send our love to old Lulu. That's right. And I'll do it, man. If she, if she kills this turkey this evening, and I got her blind set up. I've had one gobbler that I've seen six times and he ain't gobbled yet, but I've got her a blind set up. She's got that 20 gauge weather, but she's going in there. That's if she busts the head about. off of him today, I'll be posting on YouTube tonight. I'll be saying she got him. She got it. That's awesome. That is so. awesome. Hey, well, I've been chasing one for about three years and had my nine-year-old little girl actually call. Actually, I got him to come in 20 yards full strut yesterday morning. First time I've taken my little girl with me, and you can imagine how that went, trying to get her turned on the turkey. So after three years, I've not been able to get this thing in, in shooting range. It finally happens when I got a little girl that, that can't get turned. But I wouldn't trade it for nothing. We had a great experience. Hey, Gerald, in, uh, in a couple months now, I'm going to educate you a little bit, get you down here to go to Newland with me and Jeff and Hannah Barron. Uh, we still got to make that happen listen. sometime. We've talked about it for the last two years, but we got to do it now. Now, listen, God spoken in red words in the Bible. That means he give you enough sense. Don't be sticking your hand in holes like that. <laughs> he parted the water of the Red Sea. He parted the water. He didn't noodle through the Red Sea. He parted. So right. Y'all going to have to. I ain't running my, I mean, I'm going to have to be some serious persuasion for that right there. Now, this turkey hunting, I'm. It's growing on me. My wife said, why do you keep going up every morning? I said, because I suck at this and I want to get better. She That's said, you really good. wired that way. That's I good. said, because I'm really just average and there's so much I don't know. I just want to go learn it. So I'm not saying I wouldn't learn a little bit about noodling, but I'd have to watch it go down pretty good first before y'all got me in there. You'd have a ball, <laughs> man. So awesome. You would have a ball. We'd have a good time. Hey, Gerald, I know you, you mentioned something about the video that you're putting out right now or working on. Would you tell everybody how they can access that when it does launch? So Absolutely. I'll have it up. Uh, I got about two or three days to get it edited, and then I'll have it up on my – it'll start out on my Facebook page, and I'll move a teaser to uh, – it'll be my, the G-Man uh, fishing, the, the professional fishing page, and then I'll move the teaser to Instagram, and it'll also be posted on YouTube, you know, to try to – and I'm going to do some more, more of those coming up since we're in downtime right now. Y'all can look for some more videos. I'm actually – taking Leanne on a couple of trips and showing to teach somebody from the ground up the simplicity of throwing a fluke. I'm kind of slowing it down. Like I was teaching, you'd be take, taking your wife or your daughter and saying, Hey, here's how you fish a fluke. So I'm trying to build some of those videos where it, it can be educational and a little bit, you know, it'll be entertaining because anytime 
you take your wife fishing, it can be entertaining. And I told her the other day, I said, nothing tests a man's marriage like teaching your wife to sight fish. That's, <laughs> That's right. testing. That's <laughs> testing right there. Well, we'll urge everybody to be on the lookout for that. And, uh, man, that sounds like a great series. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. So, Gerald, man, with that, we're going to check out. I appreciate you again, man. Thank you for, for being a part of this. Thank you for your friendship. And we look forward to talking to you soon, brother. No problem, man. You guys take care. Look forward to doing it again. Talk See to ya. you soon. Man, Stephen, that was some uh, that was some good stuff by Gerald right there, and we really do appreciate him getting on. And guys, sometimes we're going to have a special guest on like this. And my apologies to some of the other fishing guys that we had uh, lined up to call in and give their report today. But when you get somebody like Gerald on and the conversation just gets to going, man, you just hate to stop it. I know we hate not to listen to it and see where it's going. And I know you listeners want to want to hear the complete story as well. So uh, from time to time, we'll have these special guest shows. And that's what this one will be. Next week, we'll be back to having uh, three or four people from around the state call in and give us their report and what they've been doing currently right now. But Stephen, I don't know about you, but there were some great takeaways in that right there. It wasn't just Gerald on telling stories, and there was a lot there, but there were some great takeaways. Too. Absolutely, and that's why I loved uh, that he was going to be on, uh, is that what I know about Gerald is, is he's a super hilarious guy, great stories, but truly has a wealth of knowledge about fishing and approaching fishing and teaching fishing. And, you know, even, man, I've been fishing for so long, and you know, the, the the moment he said talking about Eufaula is it, when he when he goes to look for long creeks that are going against the current versus away uh, with the current so that that creek is it's harder for the creek to muddy up. Why have I never thought about that? You know, why have I never thought about when I was doing my scouting is let's let's focus on creeks that bend back into the away from the current, basically. So the water's being pulled out of that constantly and it doesn't have a feeder creek that pocket's going to stay clean. Never crossed my mind. And I fished all over the country, man. Uh, but again, I guess that's why, uh, he, you know, he talked a little bit about me getting out of it is, you know, uh, I did, I did make a choice to get out of competitive fishing for a number of reasons, but I basically came to the conclusion just because you love something doesn't mean you're any good at it. And so I absolutely love uh, tournament fishing and com- competitive fishing and uh, have my whole life. But that doesn't mean I'm any good at it. So it was time for me to exit. Well, and one thing I want to follow up, and we ran out of time with Gerald, and, and but one thing that I would love for you to share is when he was talking about in Gunnersville right now, his tip of the day as far as throwing the Nico rig. Stephen, will you walk through what a Nico rig is exactly and, and, and maybe dumb that down a little bit for people like me who need a little, uh, take a little extra time to grasp something maybe. And I've never fished a Nico rig. Absolutely. I, the way I best explain it is you take the original stick bait or Cinco is the brand name that so many people know, but a lot of people did what was called wacky rigging it, which was they took the stick bait and they, and they hooked the hook in the middle of the bait, not on the ends. And I see the Nico rig, it, it, it came from, it bursted from that. And, but uh, a lot of those people who would uh, hook the hook in the middle of that stick bait or that Cinco, uh, they then, began to use a an o-ring a rubber o-ring they would roll it on the bait because they could put the hook around the the o-ring and it wouldn't tear the bait up so much so it was kind of a way to preserve the bait well then i think the nico rig again began to evolve from that where and that was a weightless hook now they're using the same type of hook but it has a little bit of weight on it but then they take a nail, literally, a lot, again, where it originated, people would take a nail, they would cut the end of the nail off and slide this nail into one end of the stick bait. And what that does is it gives it an off-kiltered uh, weight distribution, which gives it a more erratic presentation as it falls to the bottom. So basically, the Nico rig is a advanced version of the original Wacky rig with some added weight, both in the hook and on the end of the bait. And relatively new technique, and for whatever reason, it, it literally drives fish crazy because, man, people catch a lot of fish on a Nico. Now, rig. he was also saying something about he uses um, he uses braided line. 
Yeah. With a leader. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty typical in in the world of fishing. And if you don't do that on your spinning reels, I I strongly suggest it because the one drawback to spinning reels, say it's spooled with monofilament or fluorocarbon, really monofilament is kind of a, you just don't see a lot of people using it anymore, but you get a lot of line twist with spinning reels and spinning reels can be a nightmare uh, with line. But if you'll put braid on it first, two things happen. Braid is super, super sensitive because there's no stretch in it. So any little thing you touch, you can feel, but even more importantly, you don't get the line twist with braided line on your spinning reel. And so, and you can put it, like he said, a 12 pound braid, 12 pound braids really thin. So it's easy to use. It's uh, got a, still a lot of strength to it, but it's super sensitive and it doesn't twist. You add your leader, your fluorocarbon carbon leader, because so that so the fish can't see the braid, right? Because right? all braids are green, white, black. You know, I mean, they're different colors. Most of them are green, but you add that leader so that you have that transparency. Three or four foot. Yeah, I mean, he said eight foot, but it just. I mean, I, I think the size of the leader only matters. So, like, he uses eight foot probably because he could break off or retie and not have to retie the leader for several breakoffs or several bait changes mm-hmm. because every time you break off or every time you change your bait, you're going to lose another 12 inches of line. If you think about it after tying your knot or, you know, biting off some rough spots. So I think a lot of guys will do six to eight foot leaders simply so they can get more breakoffs and line ties. But outside of probably a, a, a three to four foot span, the fish is not going to see that braided line, but you're going to be retying your leader a lot if you I tie you. a short leader. So I appreciate you, Stephen, breaking that down because you just educated me on that. You know, I'd heard Nico, but I had never, I had never personally fished with it. So I didn't really understand it Mm -hmm. and didn't really know the details of how to fish it and how to set it up. So uh, thank you for educating us on on that. All right, folks, that's going to be a wrap for this week's episode. Please subscribe, rate, don't forget to give us a good rating, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, we can do that. Just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash A-F-F-R, and we'll send you the new show each week. That's greatdayoutdoors.com slash A-F-F-R. And, uh, and we'll send that to you. So thanks to uh, everybody for listening. We appreciate it. We appreciate Gerald. Stephen, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for a great show today. Enjoyed it, man. Love when I get time with Gerald. Great guy. have a lot of memories with him. And, but he truly is a wealth of knowledge. And so I hope you guys enjoyed the show and we look forward to next week. All right, guys. Y'all stay safe out there. We look forward to it. We'll see you. Talk to you again next week. Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Killer Dock. Check out the full line of all-natural dock-enhancing fish cleaning stations at KillerDock.com. This week's episode was brought to you by Geico of Mobile. Give Ron Davis, your Geico agent, a call at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile dash AL. This week's episode was brought to you by Fish Bites. Ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. This episode was brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com.